time. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought that video would uh, go directly in line with what we're talking about this morning. I love that little girl that while, while the woman's talking to her, saying, we can eat it now or later, and she's just shoving it in her mouth. I'm like, that is exactly how I would be. Um, so let me introduce myself for those who may not be familiar. I'm, I'm Andrew Heptonstall. I'm actually the student pastor here at Temple. Uh, pastor Malcolm is not here, obviously, and so I'm in his place. And uh, uh, here's the thing, you're here already. You've already got wet. You've already got dressed. Might as well stay. Uh, so I just want to share a little bit of time with you this morning, if that's all right. Uh, I'm going to be addressing an issue that I think everyone in this place faces. Uh, This is something I don't care if you have been saved for 50 years. I don't care if you're a new Christian. You don't even have to be a Christian to have faced this one particular issue, and it is the issue of temptation. Like, we have all endured it. We know what it's about. And here's the thing. Not everyone's temptation is exactly like someone else's temptation. Um, Some of you may be tempted to do something that I have no problem with. Uh, It doesn't affect me one bit. But there may be some things that I battle with that doesn't really affect you at all. And so temptation is unique, but is not a respecter of persons. Everyone in here is going to encounter temptation in some way, some format, some method. Uh, you're going to encounter temptation uh, in, in different walks of life. I don't care how rich you are, how, how poor you are. But one thing I wanted to do this morning, I want to look at the very first temptation. The very first time anyone has ever been tempted. And this is from Genesis chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, let's open them. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read the story, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, the story of Adam and Eve, uh, more specifically focusing in on Eve and her, and her dealings with the serpent, uh, also Satan. Uh, we're going to look at their interactions with each other, and maybe today we can learn something from this. Verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Would you all join me in prayer this morning? Father, we are just thankful to be in your house. 
Lord, with your people. And Lord, I pray right now that you would bless your word. Lord, that you would, uh, you would hide me behind the cross, Lord. That you would fill me just so I can empty onto others. Lord, I pray right now that you would move in a way that, that we know it's you. And Lord, I'm praying that your, uh, your presence would be felt here this morning as it already has in the worship and, and music. Lord, let it be felt in the worship in your word. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, so a couple things. Adam, Adam and Eve didn't bring a whole lot to the plate for us. Like, we, we look at what happened with them, and it's easy to get angry, isn't it? Like, you lived in a perfect world. Like, there were no weeds. There was no death. Like, everything was perfect. They didn't age. Like, here we are now spending hundreds of dollars for anti-aging creams. At one point, they didn't age. They were just, they just lived, and they enjoyed each other's presence, and, and God walked with them in the garden. And I'm thinking, man, that's such an amazing environment. How could you have messed that up? Like, it's easy to cast stones, isn't it? And be like, man, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it. Really? Like, really? Are you sure about that? And so what we see is, is we can learn some examples. We can learn some lessons. That's all a mistake is, right? It's an opportunity to learn. And so we can learn from not only your own personal mistakes, but you can learn from the mistakes of others. See what they did and say, you know what? I ain't going to do that. I, I think I'm going to do things a little differently this time. And, and to help us this morning, I want to give you some points and some, maybe some takeaways from this interaction between Satan and Eve. And the first thing we're going to look at is the traits of the tempter. The traits of the tempter. Uh, in verse 1 it says, now the serpent was more subtle. Another word for that is shrewd. He was shrewd. He was, he's sly. He's cunning. He, he, he knows what he's doing. Here's the thing about Satan. He doesn't put exactly whatever, he, he doesn't make what he's doing obvious. He's sneaky. If he made it obvious, then we wouldn't fall for half the stuff we fall for. But he's sneaky. He's sly. He's deceiving. And one of the things we see here in this context is he disguises himself. Immediately in verse 1, he says, he took on the form of a serpent, one of God's creations. Now, it's hard to believe, but at one time, a snake was a good thing. Like, I've never seen a good snake. Never. But in, in this context, there used to be a good snake because when God made creation, he looked at it and he says, it is good. So at one point, this serpent was not malicious. It was not evil. It was good. And Satan took in and disguised himself in the form of a serpent. See, here's the thing I think we need to understand about Satan is he doesn't walk around all dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail. He doesn't make himself obvious like that. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says he can transform himself into an angel of light. Think about that. Matter of fact, in, in, in the Gospels, you read of a story when Jesus goes into a temple and he finds a man possessed with a devil and he does an exorcism in church. You could be sitting next to the devil right now and I even know it. Some of your husbands are like, mm-hmm, yeah, I am right now. So I saw that glimpse. You're, you're like, right here, it's right here. I saw it. But here's the thing. It's not so obvious. It's not so obvious. Satan is deceiving. He doesn't make it plain. He doesn't put it on front street. His motives are camouflaged. And so what he does is he manipulates something that is good to make it evil. Matter of fact, I heard one commentator say that temptation, all temptation is, is getting something good the wrong way. And so what Satan does, he's a manipulator of things that are good. And so he takes this, this part of creation that God had made and he camouflages, hides himself, and he manipulates something that is good to get Eve's attention. So he disguises himself and he also gets her attention. Here's the deal. 
Temptation starts when something gets your attention that has no, uh, no business getting your attention. See, sometimes the first glance is not what gets us, is it? But that second glance, that's what hooks us. And so Satan has that method where he tries to get Eve's attention because God has already told him, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan comes in the scene and all he does is ask a question. He didn't say anything other than, did God say you can't eat of any of the trees? And she says, no, just one tree. What is she doing now? Her attention is being brought to that one thing, that one prohibition, that one thing God said don't do. And now her attention is caught on it. This is how Satan works. He gets your attentions on those things which we have no business thinking about, no business looking at, no business having ideas about, but he gets our attention focused on it, so that's all we can do but think about it. Think about media, social media. Think about billboards. Think about commercials. Think about TV. How many images do you see that are provocative? How many times do you see things being brought to your attention that have no business being there? But this is the work of Satan. This is how he manipulates things. He puts things in your perspective, puts things in your line of sight, so that it begins to make you think about things you have no business thinking about. And this is what happens. He begins to distract Eve. I want you to take comfort this morning. If you're a child of God, and I hope everyone in this room is, but I, I'd, be, I'd be a little uh, arrogant in believing so. I believe there's people in this room that don't know the Lord Jesus personally. And I, my prayer is before you leave today that you wouldn't know he's my best friend and he's my savior. And I would love to introduce you to him. Uh, he's, he's the most important thing to me in my life. And so it would be a privilege for me to introduce you to my Jesus. But for those in this room who are a child of God, this is what I want to encourage you with. Satan has lost you for all of eternity. There's nothing he can do to pull you from the hands of God. However, he can distract you for your whole life to make you completely useless for his kingdom. And there's so many Christians who have gotten tangled by the sins of temptation that now they are completely, they're not living out their, their true calling. They're not being fulfilled. They're not doing those things that God has called them to do. And that's one of the tactics of Satan. He can, he can distract you to make you unimportant. He can distract you to keep you preoccupied. How many times have we come in conflict with things in our life that has distracted us from the true calling of what God wants? And so what is he doing? He's getting Eve's attention. So not only is he shrewd and slick and cunning, but he's strategic. I never thought about this. I never thought about this until recently, but when I read these verses about Eve being with, with this, this serpent talking with him, I thought for a second, where was Adam? Because a little bit later, you find out he's, that Eve gives the fruit to Adam, it says that was with her, but I believe a, time of, a, a period of time has already passed by this point. That Adam was not present with her when, he, when she was talking with that serpent. Now, why is this important? Why did this jump off the page? Because one of the strategies of Satan is to get you alone. Because you're weak when you're alone. And this is what happens. He finds Eve alone. And he begins to implant things in her mind. Begins to deceive her. Begins to manipulate truth. And then, then he casts doubt. Look, look what he says. He says in verse 1. He said unto the woman. Yea hath God said. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Did God really say this? Now, now, something else is not very obvious at, at front value, but this is something I learned as I began to read commentators and things like that. If you read chapter 2, every time the word God is mentioned, it's in conjunction with the word Lord. 
It's always Jehovah Yahweh, Jehovah Yahweh, Jehovah Yahweh, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. You get to chapter 3, Satan takes the title Lord away, and he just says God. Now, why is this important? Why is this significant at all? Because one of the strategies of Satan is to make you forget who God is. One of the strategies of Satan is to make you forget what priority he should have in your life. He, he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to take away the lordship of God. Because when God is Lord, then you are under the direction of his will. You're under the direction of his will. You're under the direction of, his, uh, of everything he's called you to do. You're obedient to those things which he has told you when he is your Lord. But when he is not your Lord, then you kind of forget where his position is. And so when he says, did God really say this? It's, it's not a slip of the tongue. It's intentional. What he's trying to do is make Eve believe that God is some foreign, distant being that has no involvement in her life. Because when he's Lord, that means he's close. When he's Lord, that means he's intimate. When he's Lord, that means he's involved. And so what he did is he just said, God. It's a tactic. It's strategic. Once you forget who God is in your life, it makes it a whole lot easier to begin sinning and doing those things which break his heart. Don't forget. See, here's, here's one of the tactics. He wasn't trying to get Eve angry at God. He was trying to get Eve to forget God. And the moment we forget who God is, is the moment we begin to fall into a slippery slope of temptation. And then he says, um, he, caught, he cast doubt onto God's rule. God's rule. He says, hath he said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then in verse 4, it says, And a serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods. What is he saying? He's saying, God didn't really mean what he said. That's what he's saying. Eve, you have to understand, God didn't really mean what he was saying. And you're thinking, I don't fall for that, Really? How many times have you heard somebody read scripture and there's some kind of prohibition, maybe about, maybe about same-sex relationships? I know it's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but people read that and say, well, God, that was for a different time. That was Old Testament. That was for a different people. God doesn't really mean that. We begin to manipulate God's rule. We look at things and we say, that was for a different culture. That was 2,000 years ago. That doesn't apply in 2018. We look at all these different regulations and rules and stipulations that God has put. We say things like, we're under grace, not under the law, which is true. But there's still some requirements that we must live by. There's still some steps of holiness that we must take. And to say that God didn't mean what he really said, that is a lie from hell. And so what Satan is doing right here, he's telling Eve, God didn't really mean what he said. And he's making her doubt God's word. Think about this. Eve has never heard anyone doubt God before. She didn't know. Maybe he's true. Maybe he's right. This is the first time she's ever heard anyone doubt God. So we see the traits of the tempter, but we also see the tendencies of the tempted. The tendencies of the tempted. She began to compromise. Here's where everything began to crumble for Eve. She tried to match wits with the devil. She tried to out-debate him. I'm going to tell you right now, if you try to outsmart the devil, you're going to lose every time. Every time. Matter of fact, in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say, debate the devil, and he'll flee from you. It doesn't say, argue with the devil. It doesn't say, fight with the devil. What does it say? 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this is a, this is a challenge for a lot of us because we think we're capable. I've got this. I'm strong. I go to Bible study. And so we try to do things in our own ability and own power. And God is saying, no, just resist him. Don't stay there. Leave. Flee. Go. And so what Eve was doing is she began to debate him. And the longer she was debating him, the longer that she spoke with him, she began to convince herself. Because what does she say in verse 6? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat. The first thing she did is she began to look at the tree and she said, this tree, it looks good for food. In other words, she's saying, it looks nutritional. It doesn't look poisonous. It doesn't look harmful. This, this looks okay, right? The, here's the thing. Temptation looks like it's going to meet a legitimate need. Let me say that again because you need to write that down because that's good. Temptation looks like it's going to meet a legitimate need. When you have buddies saying, hey, man, you've been really stressed out this week. You know what's going to help you? Why don't you come down to the bar with me and the friends? We'll knock a few back, take the edge off a little bit. It looks like it's going to meet a legitimate need, doesn't it? It looks like it's going to take the stress off. looks like it's going to make you feel better. When you have people all the time putting things in your ear, hey, you don't need to live like this. Hey, why don't you come with me and do this? You'll be a lot more fun. You'll be a lot more free. And all of a sudden, we begin to believe that certain things will meet a certain need. And that is the, that is the betrayal of temptation is that it looks good, but it's bad. And so she says, this tree, it looks like it's going to be good for me. It looks nutritional. It looks like it has value. And then she says, it was pleasant to the eyes. Pleasant to the eyes. Satan doesn't tempt you with ugly. Just think about, he doesn't tempt you with ugly. He don't tempt you with trash. He doesn't tempt you with junk. No. What he tempts us with is beautiful. And it looks nice. And it makes us want it even more. He uses things that are attractive to us. In fact, um, he's good at dangling out the right bait. Matter of fact, James 1.14. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. I love that word enticed. It means to pull out of safety. To pull out of safety. It's a fishing term. That's what it is. And I love fishing. That's why I love that term. Matter of fact, I, I thought of a good illustration to use here. Um, and so I, I brought me a fishing pole. Here we go. Got me a lure on there. All right. How about that? Oh, Zepco. You can't go wrong with a Zepco. So I got me a lure on there. And here's the thing. Uh, lures don't work the same in every lake. If I go to uh, Pickwick, it may not work what I use there. It may not work what I use in Smith. And if I go to Gunnersville, it may not work what I use in Smith Lake. So you have to use different lures for different locations. And, and this is actually not a bass fishing rig right here. Um, funny story. I almost, almost not told you the story, but I think I will just because it's funny. Uh, we had a bass fishing tournament a couple weeks ago, and um, it was on a Saturday morning, temple tournament, and we had loaded up the boat the night before with all of our gear, and we pulled up to the uh, boat launch that morning and undone the, uh, the cover from the boat, and my cousin David said, hey man, where's your poles? And I said, did you put them in the truck? He says, nah. I said, well, did you put them in the rod locker? He says, no. I said, quit messing with me, man. He says, I'm not messing with you. Where's your poles? 
And it dawned on us that all my rod and reels were stolen the night before. Somebody had gotten underneath and taken them. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, but I was mad. I was thinking, I'm like, Christian character, be nice. Don't say mean words. And so I'm like, you know, we're going to have a good day anyway. So we're going we're gonna to be positive. And I found uh, Jeff Robertson's son. We call him Little Jeff, but he's like 6'3". And I found Little Jeff, and I said, hey, man. I said, my rod and reels are stolen this morning. And he's like, man, that stinks. I said, yeah. I said, but hey, you start out with bad luck. You can only get better. He says, no, it can get worse. And I said, <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, okay. I'm like, think, I'm, I'm in my head, I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. We go fishing, 7 o'clock, we catch our first fish, it's a nice one, and I'm leaning over to get it in the net, and I fall in the water. (laughs) It is 40 degrees outside, and I'm soaking wet for the rest of the day fishing, and we still come in 7th place. Lost my rod and reels and fall in the water, and I still came in 7th place, so when I get my stuff together, y'all better watch out. Um, (laughs) But here we go, we got a fishing pole, and this is what Satan does, he dangles out the right kind of bait, right? He he puts it out there, and, and, and Tyler, you don't look like you want this bait, do you? That doesn't interest you at all, does it? That's how he works. He knows what, he knows what kind of bait we want. He's not going to just throw anything out there. Again, remember, Satan doesn't just use trash. He doesn't use junk. He, he knows us. He's strategic, right? He's shrewd. He, he knows what he's doing. So um, let's do this right here. Look at that. Oh, yeah. There's a hundo right there. How about that? That look good? I did this in TSM and almost hooked a middle schooler. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Near about jumped on the hook. But this is what happens. He knows. He says, oh, I know what's going to get you. How about that? Just a little bit more money. Hey, all you got to do is lie a little bit on your taxes. You'll get so much more back. All you got to do is undercut your employees, talk bad about them. Maybe you'll get that promotion. Hey, all you got to do is, uh, is, is just fudge the numbers a little bit. Just, you know, write in what times you did come and didn't come, but just, you know, add a couple hours every now and then. You know, that's going to help you out a little bit. All you got to do is steal this thing, and, and that's going to help you pay the bills, right? That's all you got to do is just, just take it. All of a sudden, that looks tempting, right? Because Satan knows what's going to attract us. But I don't think this is exactly how it works. I don't think he just throws one bait out at us. I believe it looks a lot more like something like this. And everywhere we look, everywhere we, there's always something trying to get our attention. And I believe this is more of an accurate representation of what it's like to live as a Christian in today's world. Is Satan is always trying to nab us with something, right? He throws all kind of lures at us because he knows what's attractive. I did not drink that beer, by the way, in case you're all wondering. I did not. <laughs> but here's the deal. He knows what's going to be attractive to us. He knows what kind of bait he needs to use. And, and here's what's, what she says. She says, it looks so good. It looks so pleasant to the eyes. Because temptation is that way. It's beautiful. It looks good. It looks appealing. And it draws us out of safety. And then she says it was desirable to make one wise. See, here's the thing. Eve was already beginning to rationalize and justify what she was about to do. She's already making excuses. She's already thinking of reasons why it's going to be okay. It looks good. It's pretty. And it makes me wise. And so she's thinking, how could something so right be so wrong? Maybe he is right. And we begin to believe the lie. Why? Because when we compromise, it starts with a conversation. 
a conversation. The moment you begin to entertain the idea of sin, you are having a conversation that you should never have. What am I, what I mean by that? Everything you do, before you ever take the act, before you ever take the hook, you've already convinced yourself why. You're having an internal conversation. You know, if I just, if I just lie a little here, it's going to be okay because it's going to pay off in the long run. You know, if, if, I just, if I just take this thing and I sell it, you know, it's going to help me pay for Christmas for my kids. And, you know, that's what, that's what really matters, right? It's family, right? And so you begin to justify and rationalize and make excuses why. See, it's easy to find excuses to sin. It's easy to find reasons to sin. And, and here's the thing. Every sin that we commit starts with a conversation. All in here. Making reasons why it's Okay. I, my, my students make fun of me because I've been talking about this diet I've been on and off for the past three months. And I've lost like 20 pounds and I've put on like three pounds. And so I always make fun. They always make fun of me because I always talk about my diet and how bad I'm doing at dieting. I do the exercise part well, but the dieting part, the eating right, is just so hard. And I think it's the food industry's fault because if they quit making food to taste so good, I wouldn't have a problem eating the food. But, but here's the deal. My favorite, my favorite thing to eat is ice cream. Oh, my goodness. They have, they have mint chocolate ice cream, Breyers mint chocolate ice cream. They, there's other brands out there, but Breyers is the best. And Breyers mint chocolate ice cream is so good. And I, I remembered one night I was watching TV, and I didn't think anything about what was in the freezer until a Dairy Queen commercial came on. <laughs> and it started showing their new blizzards and how they're turning them upside down. And I'm like, oh, that looks good. Then it, I have ice cream in the freezer. Like, immediately dawned on me. And now I begin to have a conversation. Andrew, you don't need an ice cream, man. You're trying to lose weight. You're trying to get healthy. You don't need to eat that ice cream. But then this guy gets on my shoulder. He says, but you've done like 15 minutes on the elliptical today. That's at least 200 calories. And so you can have a small bowl of ice cream. And I'm like, no, you don't need the ice cream. But I'm having a conversation that I don't really need to have. And then I begin to justify it. And I say, you know what? You were a little bit more active today than other days. It's going to be okay. And so I convinced myself to get something that I know I really shouldn't get. And that's how temptation works. You convince yourself, you talk your own self into it. And this is how temptation also works. Satan will lead you to the door, but you're the one that opens it. He leads you to the door, but it's your choice to open the door. And every sin begins with a conversation. So how do we overcome it? How do we beat this? We're going to look at some tools for the triumphant. Tools for the triumphant. And this is going to be really elementary to some of you, but this is how I work. I'm not a very smart man. It probably didn't take you long to figure that out this morning, but here's the reality. I, I, I work on practicalities. I work in logic. I, I work with things that are simple. And so there's some obvious steps that we need to take to overcome temptation. Pray. That's always good. Read your Bible. Absolutely. Get close to God. Yes, I always get frustrated when, when and here's, here's kind of a, a commercial for TSM real quick, because I know there's some students that come up here on Wednesday nights, and I've talked to some parents, and, and this is what some parents have told me. They said, my son or my daughter feels like they've messed up too much, and, and those people in, in TSM, they know what they have done, and they just feel embarrassed to be down there around their peers. And so they come up here on Wednesday nights instead of going down to TSM. 
Can I say to you students, if that is your reason, you are more than welcome to come down there. I don't want you to feel isolated. I don't want you to feel like you've been kicked out. I want you there. You're welcome there. We love you. We want to be a part of your life. But here's what happens with us. is A lot of times when we fall into temptation, when we fall into some kind of sin, what happens is we begin to pull away from the church. Because the first step away from God is to step away from God's people. And we begin to pull away. So yes, stay involved in church, pray, read your Bible. All those are great things, great tools you can use to overcome temptation. But here are some even more practical things. Never allow temptation and opportunity to meet. Never allow temptation and opportunity. The moment that temptation meets opportunity, it is dangerous. So how do we do that? How would we avoid it? Listen, if, if you are in a dating relationship and you're having problems crossing physical boundaries, then you may not need to be alone together. Um, if you are, are having a problem overcoming drinking, then you may not need to go places that serve alcohol. If you're having a problem with gossiping, then you may not need to hang out with friends that encourage you to gossip. It's easy to just not allow temptation and opportunity to meet. It's easier to avoid than to resist. It's easier to avoid than to resist. When I was in, in high school, I worked at a pet store, Panhandle Pet Supply in Panama City, Florida. And my title was Kennel Technician, a fancy name for pooper scooper. That's what that was. And so my job, my job as kennel technician was to clean up all the, uh, the leftovers from the animals. Uh, I had to clean up the cages and the kennels, had to wash the dogs, had to do all that stuff, take care of the animals. But then one day, my boss comes to me and says, Andrew, we want you to be in charge of the reptile area too. Now, here's something about me. I hate snakes and I hate spiders. Equally the same. I hate them both. I don't like them. But they said, Andrew, you work in this station, and, I, and I'm a good employee, and I try to do what my bosses tell me to do. Uh, and D Dustin's shaking his head no, but I'm not going to look over that direction. And so I, I, as a good employee, I do exactly what I, I was told to do. I go and work the reptile station. But come, there comes a man one day, and he comes in, and he says, Sir, uh, I would like to look at that tarantula. It's a pink toe tarantula, size of my fist, and it's in this cage. And I've never touched a tarantula before. I've never handled one before. And he says, I would, like to, I would like to look at that tarantula, please. And so I, I roll up my sleeves, and I said, okay. And I, I pick up the lid, and I put my hand down into the terrarium, and this tarantula begins to come up onto my hand like this, just really slow. And I'm just so nervous. And I'm looking, I pull it out of the cage. And I bring it to the man, and he says, oh, it looks very calm. It looks very docile. I, I, yeah, it looks, it looks good. And all of a sudden, this thing takes off up my arm. And instantly, my fight or flight kicks in. Like, I'm, I'm trying to survive this attack. And so this thing comes up my arm. And in one movement, guys, I go like this. <laughs> this, this thing, it was over with. Just disaster. It was like stepping on a water balloon. It just... And, and in awkward moments, I don't know what to say or how to act. And so I just kind of look up this man. I said, do you still want the spider? He says, no, I think I'll pass. And, and this story has a purpose. Believe me, it does. <laughs> because I apply a two-fold process to snakes and spiders. This is my two-fold process. Shun and avoid. 
shunning the voice. When I see a snake, uh-uh. and I walk the other direction. When I see a spider, Tracy's like, come kill a spider. I said, nope, back your bags, you're leaving, we're moving. I just I shun and avoid. That's how I operate. And, and, and God kind of revealed this to me. He says, this is how we need to act with temptation. You see temptation? Shun and avoid. Don't even pay any attention to it. Act like it's not even there. Shun and avoid. So you want to know how to overcome temptation? Then don't allow temptation an opportunity to meet. Shun and avoid. The second thing that we can apply is this. Find accountability. Accountability is a dirty word, isn't it? Everybody wants accountability until they have accountability. What does that mean? It means you're telling people your struggles, your temptations, your your things that you're going through in life, and you're inviting them into the places that you hide in hopes that you don't hide there anymore. That's what accountability is. You're telling them, I need help. I'm not strong enough. And you're outing yourself. You're saying, I have problems and can I say that, that, that hey, as much as you want to pretend that you don't, everyone in this place has problems? Aren't you looking up here on, on stage to a man that has problems? And you have been outed already. The cross has outed you. When Jesus died on the cross, you know why he did that? It's because you're a sinner. And because I'm a sinner. And so the cross is a signal beacon of our sin. And God is saying, you're not fooling anyone. You're a sinner. And so in this room right now, if you're struggling with something and you've been struggling by yourself, it's time to let someone into your life that you can trust and say, help me because I struggle. And, and this is what you need to look for someone in accountability. Find someone who's not always agreeing with you. Oh, honey, it's okay. Everybody messes up. Hey, man, we're just dudes. That's what dudes do. It's easy to find people like that. Find someone who's going to say, you're a child of God. You don't need to be thinking like this. You are, you are victorious, and you cannot allow Satan to deceive you anymore. Yeah. You need someone who speaks life into you, speaks truth into you, says the hard things even when it hurts. Yeah. That's the accountability that we need in our life. And so if you have problems in your life with certain temptations, certain sins, then maybe it's time to find someone who's going to hold you accountable. And the last thing is this. Define your non-negotiables. Define your non-negotiables. And Daniel, you, you see Daniel made a decision that says he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart not to eat of the king's meat. The king's meat was, 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 was meat that was brought to an idol and sacrificed to an idol first. And then it was brought to Daniel and the other Hebrew children for them to eat. And Daniel said, I am not going to eat of this defiled meat. I'm not going to defile my body and eat this meat. And so he says he purposed in his heart not to eat of it. Seems like a small thing, right? I would be like, you're, you're a prisoner. Like, what choice do you have? Just eat the hamburger. Like, just eat it. What other decision do you have? You're, you're a slave. But Daniel says, no, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to betray God like that. You know what he was doing? He's defining a non-negotiable in the small things. Because if you, can, if you cannot overcome temptation in the small areas, then how are you going to overcome it in the big areas? You need non-negotiables in the small things to give you power and ability to overcome things in the big things. And later on, we read the story about Daniel and how uh, a rule was passed about how they shouldn't bow down to anybody else other than the king. And they find Daniel up in his bedroom praying. Why, why was he able to do that? Because he made it non-negotiable in the small things, that he was able to overcome things in the big things. And he's able to overcome in the big areas of life. And he stood strong. And here's what I want you to understand is if you don't have non-negotiables in your life, then, then, then how are you going to overcome the areas in life where you're weak? 
What kind of barriers are you putting up? What kind of boundaries are you making for yourself? Let me give you a perfect example. Billy Graham, who recently passed. We were very familiar with Billy Graham, most of us in this room. But Billy Graham and his team came up with what they called the Modesto Manifesto. And this is what they did. They looked at other evangelists and other ministries, and they saw how those ministries failed, how those, minist- how those ministers uh, 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 fall, fell, fell into temptation and into sin. And they said this. They said, let's learn from what they did. And so what they did is they, they looked at all these ministries and evangelists, and they made a list of things that caused them to stumble. And they came up with four rules. This is their four non-negotiables. When it comes to handling money, they said that we're not going to try to manipulate love offerings. We're not going to try to make a great appeal to get people to pay us more money. Matter of fact, we're not even going to depend on love offerings. We're going to try to raise the money beforehand through different committees. And so the love offering was just kind of a little extra. They said when it comes to sexual immorality, because they kept seeing that happen with evangelists, they said we're going to avoid any situation that even the appearance of, uh, of suspicion of compromise is there. They said we're not going to go eat with women, we're not going to fly with women, we're not going to meet with a woman by ourselves, yeah. other than our wife. That was a non-negotiable they placed in their life. Matter of fact, Billy Graham would send people into his hotel room before he would go in there to check under the bed and open the closets to make sure there was no one else in his room so there could not be any suspicion. When it comes to bad-mouthing other works, because evangelists at the time were really bad about bad-mouthing other evangelists and bad-mouthing the local church, Billy Graham and his people decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to partner with the local church. And when people come forward, we're going to say, why don't you go join this church? Why don't you go partner up with this church? And they encouraged the local church, and they encouraged other evangelists. And when it comes to exaggerated accomplishments, they made a non-negotiable saying, we're going to use the numbers that the police team and the local officials give us. And we're not going to, even if the numbers are low, that way we're not accused of over-exaggerating our numbers. And they said, and we're not going to call the people that come forward, we're not going to call those people converts, we're going to call them inquirers. What were they doing? Defining non-negotiables. Because it's tempting to fall into traps. So what's your non-negotiables? How are you setting roadblocks and barriers in your life? What I want to do now, I just want to encourage you. Because I know everyone in this room, we've already talked about it, we've already admitted it, we all struggle. We all have our problems, we all have our tendencies, we all have our baggage, we all have our skeletons. But you don't have to carry it anymore. I hope you realize that you don't have to hide it. You don't have to pretend that you're not broken you don't have to put on a good face just because you're, you're here on Sunday mornings. No, I want you to be honest with us and say, yes, I need help. Yes, God, forgive me. Yes, God, I, I keep falling into temptation over and over and over again. How many times have we went to God praying about forgiveness for one sin over and over and over, and we feel, we feel so weak, like, God, you're so tired of hearing about this. But I'm going to tell you right now, I promise you, God is not tired of hearing about it because he wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you to be victorious. But I want to ask you, what are you doing to learn? Because temptation not only serves as an opportunity to sin, but it serves as an opportunity to learn. So how are you learning? How are you getting stronger? What barriers are you putting in your life? What what accountability are you establishing? How are you getting better? Because if you're not getting better, then you will fail every single time, over and over. So what I want to do right now, I want to ask everyone, if you would, please stand. We're going to invite Jalen and the team back up here. But I would love to give you an opportunity this morning. Listen, this is, a, this is a tender subject because you feel like if I move, people are going to think I'm broken. People are going to think I have problems if I do anything. 
Well, I've already told you, you've already been outed. We're all sinners. Look at your neighbor. Call him a sinner right now. Look at him and say, you're a sinner. All right, boom. Everybody in this room has been called a sinner just now. Okay? You've been outed. You've been outed. But here's the reality. Everyone in this room, you don't have to remain in defeat. You don't have to allow what used to defeat you to define you. Let me say that again. You don't have to allow what used to defeat you to define you. You can be over- overcomer. You can get past this. You can get power in this moment. Because here's the reality. We have lessons we have learned from Eve. We see the tactics of Satan. We see how he operates. We see how he acts. But now we know what to do about it. You don't have to fight this battle alone. You don't have to pretend you don't have problems. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is I want you to lay it down at the cross. God, I- I'm sorry. God, I keep falling. God, I keep failing. God, I keep going in this battle over and over again, and I keep messing up. But God, I'm asking for your love. I'm asking for your encouragement. I'm asking for your boldness. And that's what you're all I'm asking you to do this morning is to lay it at the foot of the cross. And I want to challenge you. You don't have to do it today, but I want to challenge you that sometime you will find someone to bring into your life to hold you accountable. That's the challenge. So let's do this. Let's pray. I'm going to ask Jalen to lead us in a song of worship. And if, you, uh, if you're in this room this morning and, and you don't know Lord Jesus personally, this is a perfect opportunity for you to move. I don't care if you're in the middle of the aisle and you feel self-conscious about getting out. I I'm, I'm promise you the people around you will freely move. They want to see you come forward. They would be excited and thrilled to see someone move this morning to receive Jesus Christ. So don't let uh, where you're sitting determine uh, if you're going to move or not. Just move anyways. But we have men for men, women for women. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a a, a child of God, to have a relationship with Jesus. Again, he's my best friend. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Let's do this. Let's pray and have a moment of response. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for your word. Lord, we just love you so much. And I pray that you would move in hearts, move in lives. Lord, that you would break chains of temptation and sin. Lord, you would give freedom. And Lord, I'm praying that you are able and you will. And Lord, I just want to say that you would give boldness to to this person right now that's debating if they're going to move. Lord, you would give them boldness. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Sing together. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. And I will ever love and trust Him in.